Okay, this might be better. Thank you. Um, yes. Welcome to Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast, where amazing things happen. I want to thank the sponsors of the show, Flipboard.com, where people can go to find whatever articles they like to read at their one-stop shop, Flipboard.com. Thank you for this episode being sponsored today, episode 48, with Jamaican polyglot Dario. Thank you, Dario, for being on the show today. I'm so happy to be here, Chanel. How are you? You. Great. Yeah, just a bit of rain here, but aside from that, I'm great. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, for my listeners that don't know um, anything about you um, all over the world, can you tell a little bit about yourself and how you, um, you know, started your language learning journey? Sure, no problem. I'll be happy to. Okay, so to all the listeners, my name is Adario Pierre. I am from Jamaica. I'm a natural bilingual. I speak two languages naturally from birth, Patois and English. Okay, so when I was growing up in the countryside, I grew up speaking Patois for five years or four years rather, but you grew up understanding English at the same time. However, as soon as you become four here in Jamaica, by law, you are sent to school in which you start studying English, you know, formally. And from there on, I learned my first, um, you know, English is not necessarily my second language, but, you know, it was developed over that time. However, my journey within languages really started when I was five or six years old. I can't remember when I went to prep school. And within my prep school, they offered Spanish to young students. These young students would learn Spanish from the basic levels, you know, basic colors, shapes, you know, how to say your name, and over time you get to develop your grammar. So, you know, doing Spanish, you know, with a native, I was learning Spanish under a native, a Cuban native. Her name was, uh, she was married, and she was from Cuba, but she was living in Jamaica, learned Spanish, or English rather, in Cuba came here to Jamaica to teach Spanish and to live, to experience a new culture. Studying Spanish and, you know, started falling in love with it. And then after, after a short while, I realized that, you know, I had an aptitude for language and I grasped languages easily. But I started neglecting it over a few years. You know, I didn't really push it to the level I, I should have pushed it. And when I was 12, I, you know, went to high school. They had an high school, of course, that developed some great athletes, like Ristanana Tracy. And it's mandatory under Jamaican law for you to study Spanish for three years because you're part of an organization called CARICOM, which speaks three different languages, English, French, and Spanish. That's three different languages, like the United Nations. It all of these countries must learn each other language in order to create good business ties. So it's taught in, these languages are taught in school. And I was still excellent in Spanish over the years. And then I just put it down because, you know, I had no one to practice with. I had not many friends or I didn't discover that, you know, you could do language exchanges over on the phone or, you know, via Skype or Facebook. It, you know, you get to learn these things over time. So over time, I realized that my that really started, you know, he was talking to this German lady, so I, which eventually became his wife. So my stepmom is actually a German. And I started taking interest in German. So I told, you know, discussed it with my dad because he speaks fluent German. And I received a course called Take Off in German. Now, now I was very well when I started German. I mean, I was fine because, you know, I grasped the languages quickly. But you know, I, you know, it went ahead and I just basically uh, put it down as well. It's not that I'm not as good as I used to be anymore in German, but I still have the knowledge, but it's not as, you know, the word to use now, um, refined as it used to be. And over time, you know, I started, you know, laying, laying it off and getting back. But since last year, I discovered that, you know, I found my own method. I found a way, I found what is, I call it, I always tell to people when I'm explaining things to people, I call it my rhythm. 
and you know, there are not many people here in Jamaica that are 19 years old like myself and start studying languages from an early age. So I discovered the Bible over television one day, and one day I downloaded it, and I was started. I started learning Russian and French with Bible, but you know, I also put those down as well. So yeah, those are basically my developing languages. French and Russian, those are my developing languages. And I'm getting better at them as time goes by. But what I, when I really discovered that I became really great at adapting to these languages when I was when I started studying Portuguese, Amanda said, you know, get up and study Portuguese. And I went ahead and studied Portuguese. Four months into the course, I was liking it. And, you know, I started feeling down because I'm saying, you know, why do I have this talent? You know, I have this great talent in which I'm able to adapt to languages quickly, but I have no one to practice with in such a way that would get me to fluency or to proficiency. And I'm going to explain the difference between proficiency and fluency from my point of view. But, yeah, so after four months, I started sitting down and thinking, how can I get to a level in which I can be conversational and be able to hold a proper conversation in any language or in any second language or any target language that I'm currently learning with, you know, not necessarily perfect or near, near perfect grammar, but, you know, enough grammar in order to keep that conversation going without strain for either party. Yeah, so I started realizing, you know, wait, I am a very social person. I'm highly social, so I talk a lot. That's one of the main things about me. I talk a lot, and I like to listen a lot because I learn things auditory. I'm an auditory learner myself. And I went ahead and, you know, started finding, searching. I went in search for Brazilians because I actually met a Brazilian here back here in Jamaica in 2015, and that's when I fell in love with Portuguese as well. Yeah, so I found that if you really take the time to listen, because, you know, I started realizing that you have to really look at how babies were born. When you're born, you're born blind, for one. But throughout that time, the only connection a child has to the world via their senses is through their skin and through their ears, because they must hear everything in order to interpret it. And it's through hearing that they learn how to you know, develop their languages. And so I, I took advantage of that and started listening. So what I did was I called one of my Brazilian friends one day, or rather she wanted to make a video call. So with the little vocabulary that I had, I started listening to her. So I just asked her basic questions in Portuguese. And then I started listening to her, explaining herself. And over time, you know, listening and listening and listening and listening, you know, I started getting it. I found a pattern in Portuguese and and after that, it took me seven months in all in order to reach a proficient level in Portuguese. It took me seven months to become proficient in Portuguese. Not necessarily proficient, but, you know, conversational. Yeah, that's the proper word, conversational in Portuguese. So, so these people can hold a great conversation in Portuguese. So you, you would consider yourself in the intermediate realm? Yes, I would consider myself in the... Not necessarily intermediate. I would say a, a slightly above that. I would say upper intermediate level. Okay. But not, you know, not to a level in which, you know, I could go to school or, right. you know, take business. Right. Which, what, which would be somewhere between B1 and B2. Yeah. Because that's where most people want to hit their targets Um, is B1 because they feel like they won't forget it if they are at B1. Um. And they have somewhere to work to mm-hmm. when they hit the B1 mm-hmm. mark. And I, I noticed that a lot of people will try to learn something in like three months as an example. Mm-hmm. And they might be able to get to an A2 in three months. Depending yeah, that's on how yeah, much time they put into the learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that now people are creating hacking courses so you can speed up the process of learning. And for me, um, 
before I got on this call with you, I did a lesson of Cantonese, mm-hmm. um, learning how to say, you know, I speak English and Cantonese, mm-hmm. you know, so I figured out my own method as to learning the languages that I learn, and I too am audio mm-hmm. learner, and so you know, I'll take it chapter by chapter as an example. Mm-hmm. And I will take the chapter and I'll break it up. Yeah. And I will do a lesson a day. Mm. And then I'll go back if there's something that I missed or something that, you know, I just want to clarify for my own brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will repeat that information. And it sticks a lot more easily for me. As opposed to trying to do one chapter in like an hour or yeah. two hours. I mean, because you're not going to be able to remember all of it. Yeah, you're totally right. You know, you could learn something, you know, you know, five minutes ago in a language and then the next 10 minutes you won't remember it. It's all about consistency. That's one of the main things, consistency. Um, do you... What do you hope to do with the languages that you know i mean do you plan on like wanting to use them in your you know daily life like as far as work is concerned do you want to like branch out and create your own method to help other people i mean i've noticed people have done that they've gone you know to -hmm. make their own materials and and make a, a name for themselves you know, marking what, you know, how they learn. Mm-hmm. And um, where, okay. where do you see yourself with, you know, all these languages? Okay, well, for me, you know, before I became a Christian, I don't know Christian say because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you know, I didn't really have a reason why I was studying these languages and I was realizing that the Lord gave me this talent to use it. So me studying language these days is just to witness witness to people all over the world within these languages. So I'm not seeking fame or, you know, I'll be happy to help people understand my method. You know, maybe in the future I might be thinking of, you know, probably writing a book or, or so or, you know, maybe making a blog or anything like that, you know, explaining my method. But apart, apart from that, no, I'm not really interested in, in going to the limit, you know, trying to get to get on top of people. No, that's not my aim. And yes, it's also for work purposes. I would like to be an interpreter someday, interpreter of any language that I see, see fit in the future. I'm not, I've not chosen that special language, a language that, you know, I'm not calling it special because all languages to me are special, but, you know, a language in which is not really widely spoken, but it has an impact on the world. So I would like to become an interpreter, and that is why I want to study linguistics, specifically phonetics, because that's one of the main issues these days that most language enthusiasts or language learners face. There's a little thing called patterning. I learned this while I was um, doing math. I learned that the word mathematics actually comes from the Greek word mathematikan, which means the study of patterns. And most people would know that human beings are the only animals in the world designed to follow patterns. Mm-hmm. It was right down to language learning. Every language has their specific pattern and the way how things are said. You know, that is why we need to act, to alter our accents in order to speak a different language. For example, eh, meu nome é Dario, sou da Jamaica. Eh, eu já tinha estudado português para sete meses, agora simplesmente usamos o aplicativo chama de Fábio. Eh, em outras coisas também, uh, escutando com músicas, uh, histor- histórias do Brasil. Especificamente músicas tipo de baile funk, uh, bossa nova, e outras músicas também. Mas o mais importante para o desenvolvimento é o seu português, ou francês, ou alemão, ou inglês, ou 
qualquer idioma que você está aprendendo, é simplesmente para ter uma força de vontade, yeah, a willpower, the willpower to go on. Right. You have to have that power to, you know, and the aim, the aim as well is another thing. You have to have a reason. Why are you learning Portuguese, you know? Why are you learning French? Hey, why are you learning English? Why do you want to develop your English? Say, for instance, you're, you're a regular English speaker like yourself and my, me, yourself and I, and, you know, you want to become proficient at English because not many people have that level of proficiency. It doesn't matter what type of English you speak. You speak American English. I speak Jamaican standard English. You have British English, which is different. You have Australian English. You have Irish English. All English, they're similar, but are different in terms of how they're spoken based on accent. Yeah, so the patterns within a language has a lot to do with it. And that is why listening is fundamental in order to develop your conversational skills. And it's done using music. Now, with music, you have to learn to alter and control your devices. And when I say devices, I mean your larynx, the voice box, your diaphragm, your tongue. You know, in order to do that, you have to control all of these devices, these organs together to form a momentum a synchronization in order to pronounce different sounds. <laughs> For example, I remember when I was practicing um, when I was practicing certain pronunciations of certain words in um, certain letters in Russian, I was finding it difficult at first. I'm saying, um, how do you expect me to say that? For example, character, which is character, um, which is chess. You know, those those pronunciations virtually don't exist in the English language, you know, so it's the same thing over when I, was studying, when I started studying Portuguese, you know, that sound, I can't remember the name, I think it's called, a, it's not a sesajila, the sesajila is an S sound, which is to see that small accent under the bottom, but there is this accent that is pronounced nasally, that sound, it took me virtually weeks to get it. Yeah, so it's all about listening to songs and listening to songs that have a very sim- synonymous and a very spontaneous sound to it. Now, most people find certain types of music taboo, which they're right. Yeah, you know, rap music, you know, music with explicit lyrics. They were talking about drugs and stuff like that. But, you know, with these music, it ha- kind of helps you to learn how to you know, pronounce the words because words are more emphasized. I don't know if you know this song. It's by um, um, Nago de Borel and uh, Anita sings it. That's one of the main songs I learned how to pronounce that nasal song. When he starts saying, That's what I'm talking about. That synonymous idea that, you know, that controlling of all those devices together. You have to focus in order to pronounce words properly. And over time, you know, singing, singing plays an important part in language learning. Over time with singing and listening, you will be able to change not, change not only your accent, but to adopt the ability to control your devices in order to pronounce these sounds. So that is why I focus mainly on pronunciation when I start studying a language. I, I tell my students that all the time when I'm online with them about pronunciation because they don't um, seem to understand sometimes that you can't just pick up a grammar book and think you're going to learn a language. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, I tried that many times. <laughs> um, actually, you know, someone asked me recently in an interview that I did with them, mm-hmm. um, how do I learn grammar? And I said, well, you know, I'm an auditory learner. I learn by ear. So I learned by comprehensible input. I love Dr. Krashen's, mm-hmm. you know, ideology about comprehensible input and exposure to the language as much as you can. And it has to be something that you're interested in. I do, I do use music mm-hmm. for certain languages. However, um, I enjoy watching the news. I enjoy reading newspapers and books in certain literature from the the particular, you know, country for which I'm, you know, studying the language. However, 
my method's a little bit different because, you know, I don't write anything down. Mm-hmm. And so everything is, is put straight to memory. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, they're used to having the right stuff down constantly. So I just wonder, do you just use your ears? Do you take notes? Do you, do you have, you know, list of vocabulary words and phrases you take down? You know, do mm-hmm. you do the notebook thing, the color coding system thing? Because some people do that too. Well, not, not necessarily. No, I, I do write down, I write down every vocabulary that I learn and every rule that I learn when I'm learning a language. However, I'm not the writing type. I prefer to put the language in action. You know, the more right. you put the language in action, the better you'll um, adapt to it and the better you'll understand it. And the easier it is for you to transition into conversation. I'm not the type that thinks the, what's the way to use now, the word to use now, the passive mentality, the passive way that schools teach, not only languages, but other subjects, for that matter, are taught very passively. Things like need to be more active these days with computers, with the developing world, the new way how you know, kids think. You know, I've not been living for 30 years, but, you know, kids 30 years before now and, you know, us 30 years now are totally different. We have different ways of thinking. You know, the world is more, is more, what I, I like to use the term on steroids. Yeah, the world is more on steroids these days. So it's better to use more active listening. My father told me something once, and that is how I actually developed my English abilities. Many people complimented me on how well I speak the English language and how I pronounce it because I focus on pronouncing words properly, and I try to use grammar as best as possible as I can. He said, the most important thing in life, if you want to develop, you know, for not necessarily formal speech, but, you know, develop a sense of pride and a sense of professionalism when you're speaking a language. is just to listen to somebody else that speaks the language, you know, at a high level. For example, college professors or news reporters, because, you know, news reporters have to have that C2 level kind of spoken language in order to be on the news. You know, know, I'm not going to consider myself a C2 yet, you know, but I'm getting there. I'll be there eventually. But, you know, it's at this point in time in my life, it's not that necessary because, you know, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a college professor. So C2 proficiency would not be necessary for me at this moment in time. And it may never be necessary because, you know, that's not my aim. Right. Yeah, but just, yeah, that is just the, the mentality that you have to have. You know, you have to listen to people who speak language better than you. But, yeah, it's always good to write things. If you, if you, I, I personally think, you know, what works for you, do it. No, there's no single method in the world that is going to be considered the best language learning method. It doesn't matter what someone, because I've looked into many other polyglot um, methods. Um, you know, Luca Lampriello, Ollie Richards, many other polyglots. You know, I've even read um, read about um, Michelle Thomas's method. I've read about his, um, his life story and how he developed his language um, learning approach. I've read a lot about these things. And, you know, and that's one of the other things that makes me different. Before I even start a language, I go ahead and I read up on this language. I look at its history, where it's coming from, you know, the, ling- the linguistics of it, you know, like, Lexicons, words, you know, morphemes or words, um, semantics, meaning or sentences, stuff like that. I look on a lot of stuff like that in order to get an understanding of where the language is coming from and why the language is spoken in that particular fashion. Right. Because, yeah. One of the main other things that people kind of like to generalize, in certain languages, there's things that can't be translated directly into another language because we find that issue a lot of times with the English language and other languages like Portuguese. You know, the bad word that is mostly that is mostly used in English is the F word. I don't use that word anymore, being a Christian now these days. However, you know, in Portuguese or even in Spanish, even in many other languages, you have several words that are, you know, can be used in the same fashion but are not necessarily used like that you know 
But right. the only way you can translate them is to translate them like a bad word. And I think whoever is doing those translations, they are misinformed about what they're doing. They should go ahead and rethink. I'm not saying that they're not great. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not being speculative about their ability. I'm just saying, you know, after reading and, you know, listening to the way our Brazilians express themselves or any other culture for that factor expresses themselves in their language, sometimes these words are used as intensifiers and are used to place emphasis rather than just to be used as curse words. For example, this word in Portuguese, it's called, um, it's porra, spelled P-O-R-R-A, porra. It's, it can be both used as a bad word. Uh, basically, what porra means, translated into English properly, it's basically the equivalent of where you would say come, as in ejaculation. Right. However, it can be used as an intensifier in a situation. For example, you're telling someone to drop the gun in Portuguese. Solta desa arma agora. Solta desa arma agora. If you're not listening and you know you want to put emphasis, say solta porra desa arma agora. That's what it used like, you know, for example, in English, well, you know, somebody bucks their toes. You know the word that you're going to use for that. Right. In Portuguese, they do the same thing. You buck your toes, they say, porra, they say, caralho. Which is basically, you know, a vulgar for the genitals of a man. Caralho yeah. is basically the, uh, the equivalent of that. But it's used in that sense. So it, these things have double meanings. But I always consider English, I'm not going to say it's the superior language, which is not. There's no such thing as a superior language. All languages have their own speciality with them but English is a language that has been developed from several other languages and taking several ideas and melting them into one pot to create a one pot meal and building or creating a completely new idea a completely new way of expressing things that's why we don't need extra words in English if most people wouldn't have noticed to express stuff yeah I know um, for me personally what I do when I'm learning a language, there has to be some factors as to why I'm learning this language. You know, um, number one, I'm a big history buff. I'm big on politics and fashion and sports, entertainment, uh, literature. I like to communicate with people. Okay. So everything that I do in my life as an African-American speaking American English, I want to be able to do the same thing in whatever language it is that I am learning. And then sometimes it just might be something as simple as I want to be able to watch The Ring, The Grudge, and some Japanese horror movies in Japanese. So this is why I want to learn Japanese or I want to be able to watch anime like Sailor Moon, for instance, in Japanese or find Star Trek to watch in Japanese. That's my reason for learning Japanese. I might never go to Japan, but this is why I want to learn Japanese. Plus, we have Japanese people who live in the town that I live in mm-hmm. here in Ohio. So I want to be able to speak Japanese with these people. Even if it's at a B1 level, B2 level, I want to be able to do this. So these are the types of goals that I have for myself, you know, going forward with the languages that I'm currently learning. So, um, when I talk to my students, that's the first thing I ask them is, well, what's your main motivation for why you want to learn English for? And then they'll tell me I want to be fluent. Mm-hmm. I've been studying for four years. I've been studying for 16 years. And it doesn't seem like they've gotten anywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that brings me back to the point of, you know, where I was going to say, I was going to explain the differences between fluency and proficiency from my opinion and from my and from what I've read and from what I've studied now proficiency you know dictated or you know the meaning of proficiency specifically it means to be good or to be at a extremely great level I'm not going to even use any other powerful words an extremely great level something for example, you could be a proficient um, writer. You could be a proficient cyclist. You can be a proficient swimmer like Michael Phelps. You can be a, profe- um, a proficient um, skier like, um, what's her name, Lindsay Vaughn. You could be, you know, proficient at anything. Now, 
the problem that they're they are having is they don't understand the meaning of language proficiency and language fluency. Now, they you, they they actually use it. They use it incorrectly. I have heard polyglots mm-hmm. all over the world where they get that mixed up. But then when they create a video and they're explaining it, they explain it correctly. But then when they are trying to say proficient i'm proficient in a language not so much fluent in a language they use fluent and they overuse it and i i am always typing out that is incorrect it's Mm -hmm. about how the the words flow out of you in regards to fluency how well they are coming out of you as opposed to how much actual information you know yeah that's true that's true yeah and um you know, I've I've been I've spoken to a lot of Brazilian Portuguese English teachers who, you know, here's what here's one problem I find with them. You know, they claim that they have their degree in English. Okay, fine, you have your degree in English. You know, having a degree or a certificate in a language doesn't necessarily mean that you can speak, read, and write that language at a fluent level or a or at a professional level, I've heard many Brazilian um, English teachers who are great at the grammar. When I mean great, I mean, you know, they could correct you and I if we messed up in our, in our own um, native grammar. Right. But when it comes down to speaking the language, that's the differences, and that's the passive learning. Now, what I mean when, I, when, I, what I mean when I'm saying language fluency is the, just the ability. Fluency, fluency means without um, stuttering, without error, you know, just moving. I always explain fluency like water. It's just moving like water. Water never stops. It just flows. I always tell someone in order to become, you know, conversational in Spanish, I always say just release your tongue. Let your tongue flow. Let your mind flow. Let the words flow. Español es una difícil. Tú necesitas más practicarse en a menos que para delfamente o soy español. You have to allow your you know, allow your tongue to flow, allow your voice to flow, allow your mind to flow, just to melt away while you're speaking. That's fluency. It doesn't necessarily mean you're great at grammar. It doesn't necessarily mean you have decent pronunciation. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you might be using the correct words, but, you know, you're getting your message across. And to simply put it in layman's terms, understanding the person you're talking to and to be understood by that person that you're talking to. That's you don't want it any clearer than that that's language fluency now proficiency on the other on the other hand is the exact opposite completely different meaning compared to language fluency language proficiency is the ability to be able to summarize complicated and you know shadowy you know around a corner kind of stuff kind of literature, kind of, you know, explanations, kind of theories within your target language and be able to, you know, read all of that or hear all of that and, you know, kind of to bring it back in that same target language in a more concise and more constricted form so that, you know, people that are not as, you know, well-educated or, you know, might not be as versed with you on your specific topic to understand from your point of view what that other person was trying to explain. That's language proficiency. You must you must be able to speak with a level of you know unpointness, of sharpness, correct grammar, correct pronunciation, you know, virtually flawless. You're going to make mistakes. But not as many. Not as many as you would as a fluent speaker. But these days Proficiency is not necessary anymore these days, you know, going where the world is going. I think once you're fluent in a language, that's enough. Unless it's a case, you know, you should only aim. I think people get themselves stressed out, and that is why you don't advise. You know, you get yourself stressed out because you're always worrying about, you know, hey, I don't think I'm going to become, you know, good as, say, Chanel at Russian, or I'm not going to go say I'm going to get good as Luca Lampriello in his Italian or in his Russian, you know, because, you know, look at how the guy speaks. He speaks such great grammar. He speaks such great this or great that, you know. 
maybe he's not even using proper grammar. He's just a fluent speaker who speaks at a B2 level, you know. Oh, I can, I, can, I can tell you from listening to him, I, I'm still trying to get him on my show. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at C1 in a lot of his languages. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he went to Budapest, Hungary, mm-hmm. and learned Hungarian in a year. Wow. <laughs> he learned Hungarian, he learned Polish so well to the point where he wrote a book in Polish and published it. Wow. Yeah, and that 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 that's great too. You know, you know how he was able to do that because he studied Russian, and that's the other thing. You know, I I think I was hearing you mentioning it in your last um in your last podcast with uh the last podcast. It was not with um Lydia Zarowski. Um, oh oh oh, Susanna Zarowski. Yeah, Susanna Zarowski. Yeah, you were mentioning that you know. The closer a language is to the to your original languages, the faster you learn it. But in this case, in his case, you know, he learned Russian. And if you learned Russian, you can learn any other Slavic language for that matter. Right. Hungarian or Bulgarian, because you know, they have that same you know what they call the cases, yeah, yeah. Declinations. That's the problem. Well well, Polish has like one more case. Yeah, than Russian. <laughs> than Russian. It's like seven cases or something. Yeah, but it, it it would be a bit easier for you and I to learn it, you know, or for an English speaker to learn because right. we use the same alphabet. But, right. you know, people think that the Russian Cyrillic alphabet is difficult. It's not necessarily that. No, difficult. actually, it's a cousin. It's a cousin to English. Yeah. Yeah, I learned it in a day. Actually, a day. Yeah, I learned it in a day and, you know, mastered it as the days went by. And, you know, within probably a week, I was able to read any word in Russian or read anything in Russian. Virtually, I can't even write things in Russian because Russian is highly phonetic. Where you say something is the exact same way you write it. The only right. difference is you can have words that are spelled the same way, but based on stress, have different meanings. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's funny because I told someone recently. Um, I was talking with um, my friend Sasha's uh, mother for two hours in Russian. Mm-hmm. She spoke no English. I knew that my Russian was good when I can carry a conversation with her for two hours mm-hmm. and don't drop into English. And it forced me to use words that I hadn't used in a while or at all for that matter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in March, it will be four years since I started learning Russian. And now I'm, I'm doing the Moses McCormick method where I'm actually learning three languages in a year. I'm at an A2 in French. And I'm at a beginner level in Turkish and um, Cantonese. Wow, that's great. So, that's awesome. You know, but I'm taking my time with it. I'm not rushing it. Mm-hmm. And I also do find that a lot of these people, they're on the internet and mm-hmm. they're trying to follow, like, be like an Ollie Richards or a Luca Lampriello or a Richard Simcott or Vladimir Skoltetti as an example. And they forget that these people, it took them time to learn this stuff. It didn't just happen overnight. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, one, that's the other thing. You know, they think that, you know, it's, some, it's magic. You know, language learning is not magic. You know, it's just like anything in the world that you will study. You know, any top basketballer can tell you, you know, probably Shaquille O'Neal or, you know, any great cricketer like Chris Gale. Most people don't, you know, don't really know cricket that much. Yeah, but, you know, any athlete at all, it doesn't matter any athlete. Same boat. <laughs> yeah, same boat. You know, as I was mentioning, um, she's actually my favorite skier, Lindsay, Lindsay Vaughn. She, you know, look at how badly she was hurt, you know, when she got, she met into an accident and, you know, she recovered, she trained back right up. She became good again. You know, so it, it's a fight, you know, it's a constant fight. Portuguese, you know, you don't say willpower, you say, willpower. You have to keep going no matter what. Winston Churchill says, success is stumbling from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. You have an enthusiasm, you know, I want to learn French, you know. It might be daunting at first, but that doesn't mean I'm going to give up. I'm going to find my rhythm. I'm going to keep going. You have to have that drive. It's not going to develop like, you know, you learned it this second and... You know, by the next second, yeah, I'm fluent. Right. Great. That wasn't so bad. 
Yeah, that's that's it. That's the that's just um what they call in um in Russian they'll say skatskis, fairy tales. Right. You know, and I it's it's one of those things where you know I sit there and I watch the videos on YouTube of um like Christoph Kloxton, even though you know people don't particularly like him mm-hmm. in his approach, but I like to really search out people who have you know they're realistic okay. they're not just trying to sell you their product yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah that's true. um for the most part i mean to me personally like i just got finished um interviewing lydia mahova of okay. languagementoring.com we had a half an hour interview on thursday and it okay. went pretty well you know um She's, you know, becoming more known now because she was on TED Talks back in November. And, you know, it, you know, she speaks nine languages. She's studying Swahili right now, you know, mm. and she uses Osseo and she does the transliteration method like Luca does. And she used the goat list method as well. You know, she studies for an hour a day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, but she gets up early in the morning and makes it a priority, you know. And um, she might have her Skype calls, you know, once a week and in practice with people and stuff. But, you know, she has her own method. And she was like, I'm not trying to change the wheel of, of how things are done. I'm just trying to tell people, you know, language learning can't be taught. It can only be learned, which yeah, is the truth. Only- yeah, and that's and that that brings me back to my point of why I do it. You know, I want to, you know, show people that it's not human beings that created language. The father himself did. He created languages for us. You have two specific stories within the Bible. I don't want to, you know, you know, be biblicalizing your podcast or anything, but in Genesis there's a specific passage that says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And it is him as all also. That simply tells you that it comes from him. Language, you know, as I always explain a lot of times to people, is like a human being. It's like a living and breathing creature. It grows, it develops. Look at how the the Romans languages grew up. I use I use that as an example. First, you would have had Latin. Latin in its old in its oldest form, just like Greek was in its oldest form. Then, you know, after the Romans started conquering different places, they started adopting different words and stuff into Latin. And it started start getting to started to develop little by little until eventually it reached to a point where the Romans couldn't handle the pressure anymore in the world. They started separating. You know, some went to Spain, some went to France, some went to Portugal, and some went to Romania. And all of them developed into their own specific languages. Though different, they share a lot of similarities because they came from one language. You know, so language has always been a developing thing. It's always evolved. It always becomes different. You, there's a different word every day that is added to every language. Why? Because we human beings are constantly creating. We're constantly building. And we need new names for our stuff. So we're going to always be creating new words to give those items. So language is always going to evolve. And if you do not think like that, if you do not accept language as a physical being in itself, then you're bound to fail. If you treat it like a subject, as I always say, you can't treat language like, you know, you would study math. Math has a specific idea to it. Math is simply practice. If you don't practice it, you will fail. Period. You have to practice math in order to pass it, just like your teacher said. And it works out for almost any, everyone that studies um, math. And everyone can give you, you know, a rundown that, you know, I had to practice this or I had to practice that. I had to practice. I wasn't good at math. When I had to do it in my high school exams, I had to, you know, I spent weeks practicing. You know, and I didn't, my grades were still not decent at the end of the year. But what? I did pass it. Why? Because I decided, you know. And I'm not going to let this subject batter me all the time. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it once and pass it. I'm not going to go over and do it over and over again. It costs a lot of money, you know. I mean, for instance, to, to complete a math course here 
right? Let's let's put it in realistic terms. To complete a math, you know, if you're doing private lessons, studying it, instead, like so for instance, you didn't get to do it in high school because normally the government pays for it if you have a if you got a certain grade within the tenth grade and moving on to um, final final exams. If you were to go to a private class, you were paying at least US um, a hundred, no, not a hundred, probably about fifty or seventy dollars just to join the um, the class alone. Then you'll be paying like, let's put it at another realistic level, um, probably about ninety or eighteen eighty dollars in order to pay for the subject in itself. Then you know you're going to need to go to class back and forth each day, so that's going to run you about roughly eighteen thousand Jamaican dollars a month. You understand right now? What's the rate? I think it's one hundred and twenty-six or something like that. So if I should put a good um, target to it, you'll probably be paying 130 to $150 on a monthly basis in order to attend class. And that means paying $350 to the teacher a day for an hour and a half class daily for five days of the week, plus food. And, you know, maybe you might need to buy, buy stuff like, you know, learning materials or stuff like that. And, you know, you have to do that for an entire year. Now, add up all of that money and put it into one, and look at the amount you would be paying after you have you would have failed that subject. You know, so if you think of life like that, then you have to have that same kind of attitude towards language learning. It's a it's a bliss. It's a it's a state of mind. It's a feeling. You have to feel it in such a way. Most people don't think of it the way how I do it, and that is why most people are destined to fail. I remember being, I met this Brazilian um, teacher. He speaks fluent Portuguese. He said he wants to learn English. You know, I met the guy today. I taught him the TH sound, you know, two days or three days after. I mean, literally, I use their, I use their phonetics to teach him how to pronounce the TH sound. I said, okay, well, so he's always going to do it because I was explaining all of this to him in Portuguese. So, yeah, I'm at that level in Portuguese where I'm able to explain English grammar in Portuguese. There's what they're gonna do. There's this name in Portuguese that sounds similar to TH sound. There's this name called Telma. We say the same thing in English, but we say Telma, or you know, we have our different pronunciations. So, but they say Telma. So I say, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna simply put your tongue behind your teeth and say Thelma. It's as simple as that. Just say, and, you know, within within by just just by explaining it to him that way, he caught it within just just that time. I think I taught him that second. Now, most Brazilians, hey, we don't have the TH sound in our language. Yeah, so what? I don't have, um, I don't have your glutteral R's or your sigillas or your nasal sounds in English, and yet still I'm able to pronounce it. So, you know, why can't you pronounce the TH sound yourself? We're all designed with the ability by the Lord Himself to adopt or to learn Father's language. And there is no such thing as a native language because there are several languages in the world and no one owns any language. You have to think of it that way. Well, you know, it's amazing that you bring that point up because there are people out there that assume that if you're learning their language, especially if you're in the Latin American community, they will sit there and say, well, if I can learn your language and become fluent in your language, then why can't you learn my language and become fluent in my language? When in fact, here in the U.S., you know, a lot of people learn Spanish because, you know, we have a high demographic of Spanish-speaking people from Puerto Rico and Mexico, Central America, so forth and so on. However, the problem is the reason why they're being catered to here in the U.S. is because of money. Uh-huh. If they put a lot of money into the economy here, so they will give them whatever they want, yet we live in this country, it's called the United States, and there are other people that speak other languages. So mm-hmm. why are you catering to one particular group of people when there's a whole spectrum of other people that speak other languages, but you expect them to come over here, learn English, and forget their culture, their heritage, and everything. Well, what made the United States? Germans, Dutch, French, Spaniards, Brits, you know, Irish. slavery, Irish, Italians, everybody came over here. Yeah. So, so, I mean, technically we have no official language. 
We don't. Um, and it's 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 pretty sad. I mean, we, it's it's gotten to the point now where people are talking about your if if someone's speaking Spanish on a bus, somebody that doesn't speak it will come out and say, "Well, you need to speak English. You're in America." Yeah, I totally understand that mentality. Yeah, but you know, I don't I don't want to be a nationalist or, you know, I don't want to be some, come off as racist, but you know, I'm just going to speak my mind because I like to be realistic. You know, Americans generally think, you know, because yeah, of course you're going to think that way. It's normal. It's a it's a it's a biological thing. It doesn't it has nothing to do with, you know, race or, you know, standard of living it just has to do because america is the remaining is the only remaining superpower in the world you know they have a lot of you know not necessarily ideas but a lot of feet in many different countries of the world well in fact in almost every country in the world they have a feet there so because of that you know you're the superpower so you're going to always want everyone to learn your language you know if you ask anyone these days anyone in the world that is learning English. You know, most people that I've met, and you ask them, hey, why are you learning English? You know, aside from, you know, wanting to become fluent in it, which is their normal, um, normal idea, everyone wants to go to the U.S. Okay, fine. Yeah, the, America is a great country. Don't get me wrong. There's aspects about America that I love and I really appreciate. America has a very long and beautiful history, just like Jamaica does or just like Russia does or just like Germany does. But actually, America's only been around for uh, 242, going on 243 years. Yeah, but, you know, it still has a long history compared to most, um, no, not necessarily most countries, but, you know, it still has a good history. Every country has their story. But, you know, you can't use your size and your the power that you have and use it to kind of want to take control of the world. I don't know if you... Heard this quote before, but it's actually in the game God of War's um, God of War Three, I think. Plato, you Plato made a quote in that, or yeah, a quote. He says, "The measure of a man is what he does with power that is given unto him." So that is what they do. You know, they try to control the world's languages, and people these days are afraid to, you know, speak. They're afraid to. You know, offer their languages because you know nobody wants. Why would I want to learn Swahili or Hausa or Igbo or the Ashanti languages in Africa when I could just learn English and go anywhere? Everybody, everywhere. But, but see, this is the part that people fail to realize. Just because English is everywhere, <laughs> it's not technically spoken everywhere. Where? It's yeah. spoken. It's spoken in the touristy spots of every country. But once you get out of those cities, they speak whatever language it is that they speak. So, yeah. and, and people fail to realize that. I mean, there are people in my own family that believe that if you still need to go over to a country to become fluent in a language, and that's not even the case, you can stay home and learn a language on the internet for free. Yeah, just like me. I've never been. To, I've never been to Brazil, and you've heard my Portuguese. You've heard it right. several times. Right. And. You know, it has nothing to do with going to the country. Right? Look at it. Look at it this way. Here in Jamaica, it's just like you know, the English language has always been taking root in everyone's backs. Slavery was here in Jamaica. Jamaicans are mainly, are mainly, you know, descendants of West Africans, specifically from Ghana and Nigeria. You know, you have people from you have slaves that came from the Igbo tribe. How did my first my first language develop? Now, Papua. Most people, one, most for the listeners that are listening, I'm going to explain the complete history, the history behind how the language that is so famous around the world, Katwa, was developed. Now, back in 1655, when the British just arrived here in Jamaica, Oliver Cromwell, not Oliver Cromwell, I can't remember his name, the two shipmasters that came here, they, also, they were the ones who first came here and fought the Spaniards off, while Christopher Columbus. So, yeah, anyway, so in 1655, when the British just came here and they started their plantations, they needed men that were virtually resilient. They needed men that could work in the sun, men that were virtually impervious. You know, they could work under extreme pressure, under extreme weather. So they went to the land of opportunity, of course, Africa, Africa itself, they went to West Africa. And they gathered slaves, you know, people sold slaves for 
literal or nothing. They sold slaves for jewelry, they sold slaves for everything, and you know, they bought them here. So the idea was, you know what colonization means. The word colonization means simply, if I come to your country and I get control of your country, then I want you to, I want you to adopt everything that I have in my country. You're going to speak English because I'm an English speaker. You're going to go to church because I go to church. You're going to adopt everything that I do because I'm now your boss. So that's right. the idea the British was bringing to the slaves. You know, they were trying to force them to learn. Um, and, you know, the slaves, they were educated in their own way. They had their own method of how they learned. You know, they learned what, you know, was necessary for them to survive. So they learned what they needed to learn. They forgot. They, did, they didn't need to learn what was unnecessary because it wasn't important to them at the time. So the British was trying to, to educate them because it was the Renaissance period. So we were trying to educate them in such a way. They were trying to use English to educate them. We were trying to force them to learn English. They've never prob- they've probably never heard, you know, a foreign language other than their regular African languages from African tribes before in their lives. So they brought them here and they were trying to force them to learn English. Obviously, the slaves couldn't, couldn't um, adopt it because, you know, it's a completely different form of language. It's a completely different way of people speak, you know. The patterns that would have been other African languages, they never heard that before. So you're trying to force people over time to learn something like that. And it couldn't happen. So the British said, okay, since that's going to be the case, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, you know, step up our efforts. We're going to try to find a way to get you to speak English. So they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm a shanty. No, we're going to say, no, look at you. Okay, just, just for example, we'd like to do that in Pato. We'd like to say, the person that we're talking to, we'd like to use their names in order to use it as an example. So I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to take Chanel. I'm going to take Odario. I'm going to put them in two different um. In a, in you know in one group to themselves now Dari is a shanty and Chanel is a ego. They don't they can't communicate because they speak two different languages. Great. And I'm gonna take Tom and I'm gonna take Harry as well. Because they're Akins. One is one is Aiken and one is a maroon. I'm gonna put all two to that group here. Yeah, that's gonna work. Yeah, so they place all of them in one group so that communication was virtual difficult. I mean, it reached such a point, you know, that you know, you didn't they didn't have any people start becoming quiet. And then, you know, it reached a point, you know, which over years of conversing with each other, you know, they were forced, their brains were put into survival mode. Once you keep the, the human body into survival mode, once it feels it's under pressure, it will start to learn, it started making calculations, it started to figure out patterns in order to survive. And that's how, that is how we adopted, people adopt to new languages when they enter a new country. And I've never studied that language before. So they combine their languages together all of the African languages from West Africa, specifically the Aiken and um, Aiken and Igbo and um, Igbo and Yoruba tribes in, um, in West Africa. They combined those languages together and formed a universal language, one language that all of them could understand. And they also took what they would have learned from the English and morphed it in such a way that they changed virtually the pronunciation. And some words are basically the same thing in Patois, but have different meanings when, when it's being spoken. For example, the word ignorance or ignorant. I'll use ignorant because it's more ignorant. In Patois, when you say somebody ignorant, you say, what ignorant you? What ignorant so? Because ignorant and fool basically means that you're, you know, you're irritable, you're a vehement, you're likely to launch out at somebody. That's what, that's what it means in Patois. But ignorance, you know, in English simply means you are not versed or you're not, you're, you don't have sufficient knowledge about a specific topic. That's the difference between Patois and English. And that is why most in, native English speakers find it difficult. I remember having some friends here from Texas once at a wedding last year. They were, they were white people and um, we went to the supermarket and we were coming out. So there was this guy at the, um, at the edge of the supermarket. He spoke no, he spoke no um, English. But he, do, um, he did understand English. Some Jamaicans will try to speak broken English, those that have not been educated. And, you know, he sat down there and he was saying, so my friend was carrying out the bags and he said, hey, you can't take your bag, you can't go back here and can't come back in. My friend was like, huh? What did you say? He said, yeah, man, you can't take your bag, you can't go back here, man, I can't come back. And I was there laughing at him because I was saying, look at this guy. The guy is white. How the hell are you going to expect him to understand Patois? So I, take, I went in and translated. I said, what he's basically saying, you can take the shopping cart, you can bring it to the vehicle, unload what you're unloading, you know, bring it back. He said, okay, no, no problem. We won't need to. We're, um, we're just going to bring it with us. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the difference. You know, it's a language that is similar to English, but 
it's been morphed. There's a lot of African languages. There's even influences from the Roman languages, Portuguese and Spanish, for example. In Portuguese, you say NASA, which means both wow. It means wow in Portuguese, but in Patois, it has a similar meaning, but it has another meaning as well. The most um, used term or no in Patois is NASA, for example. Um, yo, you got work today? NASA, I got work today. What does you think? What do you think that meaning in your sense? Listen to one of the words in it, and it will tell you the meaning of everything. You got work today? What do you think that means to you? Listen carefully. Yo, ga, walk, today. Yeah, honestly, I can definitely understand why that would be, you know, difficult for someone that has never, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, learned it. However, at the same time, it's not that difficult either. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just like someone has spoken a line in Icelandic to me over the phone. Mm-hmm. And I understood what they were saying. You know, because yeah. in, in, in people fail to realize the more languages you learn, the yeah, more easier it yeah. gets. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very powerful thing, you know. And then you would respond by saying, me, NASA, me no got work today. Me, I, no, NASA, me no got work today. I never went to work today. Right. Um, in, 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 you know, in Spanish, because that's the other thing. There are 14 different versions of Patois because there are 14 different languages. There are 14 different, um, different parishes. And, you, and, and it's obvious why there are 14 different versions of Patois. The slaves spread. You had different tribes spreading all over the island. So obviously what I was saying about the, um, the Latin languages, that's the same thing that happened. Each parish developed their own accent and their own farm. I'm in Spanish town now, which is the parish that is closest to Clarendon, the one that I'm from. You know, a Spanish town person would say, you know, you know, from what you are, from your stepping a flank, you know, I'll be a bad miss stepping, you know, so you have water, you're back when you come and then play them a dark, then play the rock in a youth. So a Spanish town person, they'll draw their words a bit and they'll kind of smooth things up, smooth. It's a more of a finesse. Look at how close Kingston is to Spanish Town. Kingston is like 20 or 30 minutes away from Spanish Town. And yet, uh, the Kingstonians, because that's what we're called, Kingstonians, Claridonians, St. Catherineans, which is Spanish Town is the capital of St. Catherine, which was the first, par- first parish capital of Jamaica. All right. So you have St. Catherineans, Manchesterians, um, Montegonian, which is the, you know, the famous place called Montego Bay, or St. James, which is the parish. Right. And Kingstonians would be like... Um, Hey, more on the some the right now, no cause. The boy, the boy, the move right, the more my some right now, cause. You can't just come come take my some and and them know the one and just take my some and carry go by the so. That the king's going to be like that and Clary runs that myself. You know, say what them go down just a do them. Them do that do a whole heap of work down just up on the road so. The cutting and same could a mash a little work for them, isn't it? And the man them a go on like say them no one give me no I work on. Be a foolish man, them start wanting and you see. So, a Claridon, I like myself with that. The more, the higher you are, the more rough your speech is. Someone asked me when I was at work at night saying, um, Which country are you from? So, in Patwa, when we say, when we say country, it's not country as in English, it's country. We mean that you're from a countryside, you know, you're from a farm, mm-hmm. farming, farming area or farmland. So, we say, Which country you come from? They're, there are about three main countries. The biggest parish or the largest parish is St. Anne. You have one there. You have one in Clarendon. The one that I'm from is in Clarendon. You have one in um, in Anover, which is the western, northern side of the island. Yeah, so you have those three main countries. And I think there's one in St. Thomas as well. Yeah, so there are four main, main countries. So when they ask you what country you're from, you know, they can know directly where you're from just by your accent. And that's the that's how languages develop. They evolve. You have to think of it that way. And then in life, it's, 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 you have to treat it like life. You won't become great at it if you treat it like just something else. You can't force people to learn something. That's what they're trying to do to us here in Jamaica. And that's why most students have not advanced in English. They're telling you, you know, yes, I do understand. I understand it. it, it it's logical. Patois is only spoken in Jamaica. And the Jamaican diaspora. However, you know, you have to still give the language some respect. If you're not going to respect a man's language, 
you know, then he's not going to want to learn yours either. You know, so English is the country's national language. It's the official language of the island. English is. Patois is the mother tongue. However, mm. English must be taught and must be spoken because what we read is in English. What we learn is in English. How we're taught is in English. So we must learn English in order to survive. So it's an it's a, it's a, it's a awful thing here in Jamaica now. Absolutely. You find that 80% of us, like myself, have at least a high school level of proficiency in English. The other 30% are divided like this. 15% of them wants nothing to do with the English language or education at all. And, you know, they don't see where it's important for them to learn English because, you know, they have not been educated in the right way as to why they need to learn English properly. They're just told because, you know, hey, you need to learn English because it's the mother tongue of the world. Everywhere in the world speaks English, so you need to learn English. Okay, fine, cool. That doesn't, still doesn't give me a reason to learn the language I want to be interested in, you know, developing it. Okay, fine. The other um, 5% that you, you uh, are, not, yeah, the, yeah, 15, yeah, so the other 5%, as you have, they are like, you know, people that I get sorry for all the time. People that don't have the opportunity, they do want to do it, but they don't necessarily have the opportunity to learn it. And that's really sad here in Jamaica, but it's life. Well, I know I need to wrap this interview up. I um, want to thank you for coming on the show today. Um, do you have any final words for my listeners out there? Okay, to the listeners out there, you know, the language enthusiasts like myself, you know, if you're going to learn a language, choose what works for you. Anything that works for you, you know, you can, you know, adapt to my, you know, listen to some of what I've, I've used to learn languages or, you know, I can, you know, I can direct you to a lot of um, places. You can use, um, there's this, uh, yeah, there's, you can use Babel, you can use Yolingo, you can use anyone. You can go into YouTube and just type in, if you're, say for instance, you're learning a specific language, for example, um, say Spanish, what you can do is go into your, um, go into your YouTube page or go into your Google Translate or whatever app you use to translate. Translate, um, you know, say for instance, history in Spanish or, you know, whatever you like, what is ev- whatever you like in that language and copy the translation, add it to YouTube and it gives you a you know, a long list of stuff that are in that language, specifically with what you wrote there, because you wrote it in Spanish, so it gives you a long list of um, podcasts or videos to listen to. You know, develop your listening skills, listen all the time, and, you know, write what you need. If you need to write, write. If you need to read, read. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever you think in your heart and your mind that makes you learn a language or makes you learn things on on a virtual basis, how you learn. Do what makes you happy at the end of the day. And, and you know, to add this all up or to solve this all up, just have fun. Go ahead and have fun. Don't have fun, then you won't learn, you know. If you're just going let to let it stress you out, then you won't learn. If you, and, if, and anytime you feel like you're getting stressed when you're learning, stop for a bit, you know, take a 15-minute break or take a day, you know, and, you know, go back at it. But don't let it stress you out. The main thing with learning a language is to just have fun, okay? Thank you so much, Dario, for coming on the show. And to my listeners out there, I will see you guys in the next episode of Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast with my next guest, Zar Experience YouTube um, blogger, Connor Coyne.